This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, football is officially back. This is our 2020 season preview, sneaking up on us completely without any preseason, but here we are ready to go. And with me this week to make the case that we should not change the name of the podcast to the Better Boomers, it's David Newman. What the fuck is the Better Boomers? <laughs> it's a, it's apparently us. We, 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 so Caleb Sutherland, uh, with, with probably tweet of the week at this point, uh, someone reached out and asked whether or not we were going to have, um, like iPhone and desktop backgrounds that we typically do. Uh, one good friend of ours, Josie, he normally puts those together, but Josie had a baby this year. You and I have both had a baby this year. Uh, that's just one of the things that kind of went on the back burner as we were doing Patreon videos and, and all manner of other thing instead of, of the background. And so I tweeted out that, you know, everyone in the Better Rivals crew had a baby this year, uh, and Caleb Sutherland dropping the dropping the sauce comes in with hashtag Better Boomers, and you know what? I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I do lean into the dad jokes pretty hard nowadays. Look, man, I made my first. I, I feel like real dad decision this week. And what kind of lawnmower did you get? No, no, no. <laughs> well, I I took a basically a lawnmower to my head and cut off all my hair because, like, look it, at this stage, I'm just like I'm trying to get like Jim Harbaugh right now, right? I'm just trying to streamline and simplify my daily reduce routine. drag, reduce and, the drag, my friend. And I'm not trying to you know spend time dealing with this like long hair business anymore. It was just too much time. I need to be able to take a shower in five minutes again, and that just be a thing that's that's possible. And so, uh, yeah, I, I shaved all my hair off this week. And that, that I feel like was the first decision that I made, like with the reasoning is like, I'm a dad. I don't have time for this shit. Yeah. I like it. You're, yeah. you're just, you're just a, a stiff, a stiff breeze away from cargo shorts and new balances. I, I know exactly I'm what gonna, I'm going to resist it as long as I can. I know, it, it's inevitable. No it's inevitable. But football's here. It is a 2020 season preview episode. We're going to go through, talk about what we think are the important questions to ask about the 49ers in 2020 and where we think they will end up in this season where they try to get back to the top of the mountain, but this time not trip at the very end. Uh, but first, let's start with the rundown. Fred Warner, officially off the COVID list, 
I'm happy about that, especially against the Arizona Cardinals because I think his coverage is going to be sorely needed. I just hope that his heart doesn't like enlarge and he die. Because that's a thing, apparently, that uh, if you have COVID, and we don't know if Fred Warner had COVID or not. He okay, I was just about to ask you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't confirmed it, and that's the only way that we will know. Teams can't disclose whether or not he has had COVID, but apparently, well, he was on it longer than Richie James or Jeff Wilson, who were on it for just a couple of days because they supposedly had exposure but no symptoms. Um, his girlfriend on Instagram posted an image that said like get well soon baby or something with like treats like she was taking care of someone who was feeling ill again not confirmation just you know Instagram story speculation because that's the kind of journalism we're about here at the Better Rivals podcast <laughs> um, and, and he was on it for about 10 days that, that's all we know we don't know if he had it don't know if he didn't but if he did have it apparently now one of the side effects is that for athletes it can basically enlarge your heart and that can cause long term effects I mean Von Miller before he uh, he had his injury this this year, which is going to be awful for football in general. But he talked about how it took him a very, very long time to get over it. He just felt winded. He felt more tired than normal. Uh, so it's it's a very real thing. And hopefully it was just exposure to someone, but not actual COVID. Right. Yeah. I mean, because from, from the sounds of it, right, that, that could definitely be something that lingers. Like not even talking about just someone who's not fully healthy for this week one game, which obviously we would love to have. But um, it, you know, potentially something that affects him for who knows how long throughout the season, right? The first half of the season, or does, yeah. you know, not being a, having a chance to like truly rest and, and let it fully recover. Like, does that make it linger the entire season? Like who knows? Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, hopefully like you mentioned, it was just a case of him being exposed to it, like not actually contracting himself and, and just kind of taking a more cautious approach because yeah, it, it, he's definitely a player that the 49ers, I think want need to have at a hundred percent, like for, for their defense to have a chance at, at being uh, kind of at, at their peak. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think when you, when you think about the week one game against Arizona, I mean, you think about him covering the middle of the field, covering a crosser, turning around and carrying a receiver. That's going to be important for what the Cardinals do. And without someone like him, all of a sudden you've got, you know, Dre Green, Dre Greenlaw and Quan Alexander, not bad cover guys uh, in their own right, but, I think Fred Warner is definitely the better linebacker of, of the three. Uh, so now we get to final roster. Of course, we've got practice squad players. So many 2021 starters on one practice squad, David. Got Jonathan Cyprian, who's going to... I mean, look, the pitch I think that Shanahan gave to him to make him okay with the practice squad is like, bro, you're going to be a starter next year when Jaquaski Tart isn't here. So just kick it for a year on the practice squad and make a 200K, and maybe you might even get to play a week or two and and then compete for a starting role next year. Uh, you've got Kevin White, who's like, I'm all about Kevin White becoming a number one wide receiver in San Francisco. <laughs> I love it. We don't even need a number one wide receiver, but Kevin White will be the number. He's actually just going to wear number one just to prove to everyone that the Niners have a number one wide receiver. Jamichael Hasty on the practice squad. He is going, he actually, he played Kyler Murray this week <laughs> as a scout team quarterback because he's 5'8 and very fast. <laughs> And then Josh Hokett, who's going to come in and be the next juice check uh, because you have to have a fullback with a J in the name. And the, all of these players, this is just, this is depth for 2021 all in the practice squad. I'm more excited about the practice squad than I probably am some of the final roster cuts. It's really key that you have that fullback in waiting. You know, everybody talks always. about the, the third developmental quarterback and how it's always nice to have a guy there that you can, uh, you know, spend a lot of time developing and who ultimately becomes nothing. Uh, the practice squad fullback really is the the spot that doesn't get enough attention. Um, 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say that not a single one of those players is a 2021 starter. <laughs> I don't like. Nor, I don't like your tone, David. Any, any of them actually like. I, I okay. Here, here's what I'll say. I I think Kevin White is the one that I'm like. Okay, that that's kind of fun. Like, yeah, just such an obviously rough start to to his NFL season uh, or his NFL career. I mean, um, but was a player that was so much fun uh, in in yeah. college at West Virginia. And if like, man, if suddenly he just like things fell in place, that one would be fun. But that uh, would be yeah, amazing. Get Jonathan Cyprian and this other bullshit out of here. And then we've got salary cap news. We've got D Ford who restructured his deal. He converted some of his salary to bonus. It cleared up about nine and a half million dollars of space this year, which it's good for the Niners to have flexibility this year in case they need to make a move uh, for some reason or another, or in case a trade presents itself in the middle of the year that they need space in order to make, let's say for a defensive back. But really this is, I think with an eye to the future, because if that cap space goes unused this year, then it can get rolled over into next year. Right now, the cap is projected to be 175 million. That's the floor. It could be more than that, but 175 million is a reduction uh, to maybe even like three or four or five years ago at this point. Uh, I don't know. I think like three years ago, it was 198. Um, it's been a while since it's been that low. And, and so the Niners have basically one player, one starter in the secondary that could conceivably be back next year because Emmanuel Mosley is a restricted free agent. They're going to need some money to sign some people because they don't have any defensive back starters at this point. So I think that really is where that money is going. Right. And I think like that's such a huge point because as we've talked about with a few of the extensions that they've had recently, um, I, I think there were some extensions that they had that were very much with an eye towards a, a big balloon in the cap up next season. Right. Obviously, yep. COVID throwing a big wrench in that. Um, Jimmy Ward and Eric Armstead. Um, and I think Quan Alexander, Weston Richburg, both of their salaries like just jump up huge next season. Um, and so, yeah, like that was very much like, I remember when we were kind of questioning those extensions at the time and, and looking at those details, it was like, um, man, those cap numbers suck. But you know, obviously like the NFL was growing at a crazy rate. The cap was growing at a crazy rate. Basically everybody before this, uh, all started like expected the next couple of seasons with the cap just to continue to grow and, and balloon. And so, um, you know, it would have been a situation where like, okay, yeah, if the cap grows, uh, as everybody expects it to, like those cap hits aren't going to be quite as big of a deal now with a possible reduction, like those become a little bit more concerning and your cap space definitely shrinks. And so freeing up as much money as they can now to potentially roll over could be huge. But the cap for the Niners is not as bad as the cap for the Rams because the Rams just signed Jalen Ramsey to a monster deal, resets the cornerback market five years, a hundred million could be as much as 105 million those extra $5 million really matter. Uh, but there's over $70 million in guaranteed money for Jalen Ramsey. And that deal in and of itself for someone of Jalen Ramsey's talent and caliber, I don't know that it's bad in a vacuum, but the Rams don't operate in a vacuum. Insert suck joke here. Uh, the Rams currently have $87.3 million invested in Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, and players no longer on their roster, Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley. It, it, the Ramsey deal actually got their cap down under the cap number. They were $600,000 over the cap number, but because they were able to take salary and amortize it over the, the bonus, amortize it over the course of the deal, the, you know, his, his number probably stays roughly the same, somewhere near 12 or $13 million, but you know, they were able to knock it down maybe even to $10 million. Who the hell knows? The, the details are still to come out. But if you presume that that is somewhere near 12 or $13 million, 
That's $99 million in cap space that the Rams are spending on just three players that are currently on their roster, two of which are not on their roster. 99, somewhere in that range, million dollars on three players. The Niners would need to add their top nine cap hits for 2020 and the dead money from four players to approach the same number. Like that is how you get roster value. That's how you get a $200 million, $220 million roster to perform, you know, much better than a roster where you're paying, you know, 99 or $90 million or even $85 million. Let's say my numbers and estimates are a little off and I've inflated it by a bit because of Ramsey's deal. You're still talking about $85 million locked up on three players. It's going to be really hard to compete when I can throw nine players at you and you are trotting Jared Goff out here. Not ideal. Uh, not ideal, especially when you like continue to give away draft picks and, and you don't have right. like it's something that could potentially work. Right. If you've been smart with how you approach the draft and you you have like uh, a surplus of young talent that's on these like cheaper deals and, and you have been able to have a string of good drafts and you have those guys ready to step in and, and provide that extra value. Right. Uh, that that good players on rookie contracts can do for you. Um, you can probably get away with that. But um, as we kind of talked about last week during the division preview, like they they haven't had a first round pick basically since Jared Goff. Um, and and the the influx of young talent like is non-existent, essentially. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough spot for them, for sure. And, and these players for the Niners, these nine salaries, they're not like insignificant players. So we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, Richard Sherman, Trent Williams, Solomon Thomas, Bosa, Juice, D4, Tart. Like these are contributing starters on a fantastic roster. So it's 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 it I think the idea the idea sometimes gets thrown around that the salary cap is a made up thing and that no good team is constrained by the salary cap. And I think that's true to a certain degree. You can manipulate the cap to do a lot of things. For instance, you can sign Jalen Ramsey to a huge extension and use it to get down under the cap by at least $600,000, right? I think the Chiefs also did something similar where they were like, you know, 17 cents underneath the cap number and they gave huge extensions to Patrick Mahomes uh, and, and Chris Jones. But I do think that it still operates as a constraint. And because it does operate as a constraint, you can still screw that up. And, and luckily, the Niners have not screwed it up thus far. Um, they've given us some pause sometimes, but they haven't screwed it up, unlike the the old L.A. Rams. And the thing that you can get, I mean, because the, the Saints have been doing this for years, right, where they've been yeah. just like right against the cap and uh, it never seems like they have any space and they always find a way to like make these deals. But they've also had Drew Brees at quarterback. And so you can get away with a lot of different strategies when you have excellent quarterback play that you can rely on year in, year out. The Rams have Jared Goff, who uh, I, I certainly don't think is a terrible player. Like he's not Mitchell Trubisky or, or something like that. But um, he is a guy like we talked about last week that, that he, needs, he is a guy. <laughs> he, he's a guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he needs that supporting cast and that environment around him to really be uh, clicking on all cylinders and in good shape um, for him to really, truly excel. And he's not a guy that I think is going to elevate a subpar cast. And, and so, um, when he's your top paid guy, as you would expect from a quarterback, that's not on his rookie contract. Um, it, it's a tough situation because you don't then have enough money to give him that elite supporting cast that he really needs. So speaking of supporting casts and quarterbacks and players that need to succeed with things around them, let's get to our season preview. 
because those are some of the themes that we'll talk about here as we talk about the Niners trying to get back and do something that doesn't happen a lot. Our season preview, Fighting History. The 49ers are going to try and do something that only five franchises have ever done. Go back to the Super Bowl after losing the Super Bowl the previous year. The Cowboys, Dolphins, Vikings, Bills, and Patriots have all done it. The Bills did it three times and got kicked in the dick every single time. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, yes, that was a kicker joke. Only three teams have won the Super Bowl after losing the previous season. The 2018 Patriots were the last team to do it, but before then, just the 1972 Dolphins and the 1971 Cowboys. You basically had 71, 72, and then no one before then, no one after that until the 2018 Patriots. And this is the history that the 49ers are fighting. It's going to be incredibly difficult to get back to the Super Bowl, let alone win the Super Bowl. They will be in a rarefied air if they can do it. And if they do it, it's going to be, I think, a little different formula than they did in 2019. And I think we're going to start with the preview on the defensive side of the ball because that's you know, it's part of our brand, David. Defense first. <laughs> we, we've always said it. We've said it from the beginning of the pod. Defense wins championships. <laughs> that's not true if you're a new listener, by the way. <laughs> so the 49ers defense was incredible in 2019. Not so great in 2018. And, and really, it's, it's the story. We said last year the story was going to be how far can the defense take them, and the defense took them very far. Uh, but now I think we're probably poised to see a little bit of regression, and that regression doesn't necessarily mean they'll be bad, but it does mean that the team won't be able to rely on out-of-this-world defense for a second consecutive year. Right. So, I, I mean, I think we have to really put that jump in into a little bit of context here because um, it, it seems like so long ago, that 2018 season, but that defense was horrendous like they were really really bad um i think especially in a few key areas but when you look just kind of overall um and and how they did an epa per play which is going to be a metric that just kind of looks at your per play efficiency um it, it doesn't account for you know opponent or anything like that just kind of like what happened on the field right so epa per play they were 26th in 2018, um, they jumped all the way to second, just barely behind the New England Patriots last season. And that improvement was even more drastic when you looked at, of course, the all-important passing game. They went from 29th in EPA per play all the way to second. So um, we were really talking about a defense, especially in coverage and in, um, you know, defending the pass um, that was one of the worst defenses in football in 2018. And the the whole story that we talked about in last season's preview was like, look, we don't even need them to be great, right? With like, if this is a, cause you know, of course at that point we're talking about going from a bad team to like, what does it take for them to be able to just become a playoff team or, or, you know, an above 500 team. And so it was all about, can the defense even get to that just like average level? And of course they went well, well beyond that. But teams that have that sort of, you know, huge leap from one season to the next, they tend to give a little bit of it up. And so I think that the main question going into this season is where do they land, right? Do they fall back to the middle of the pack or even below average? Or do they still say like a top 10 unit, right? And so I think where they end up falling from that like number two, number one spot, depending on how you feel about where they were defensively last year, um, I think is going to be a big question for where they end up and what their ceiling is again this season. I don't know that they're going to fall down to below average, but I could see them definitely taking a step back and even being top 10. But the, the difference from second best defense in the NFL 
to ninth best defense in the NFL yep. still means the offense has to produce a few more points per game and that the game scripts may not be as positive. I think you start with the way the Niners have built this team, and that's with the defensive line. The 49ers calling card is a strong front seven. And when you look at the team now versus the team in 2019, on the defensive line, you're talking really about DeForest Buckner, Sheldon Day, uh, and, and maybe more. And, and you compare that against Kinlaw, Kerry Hyder, Kevin Givens, Contavious Street. I think on paper, the current iteration of the defensive line is worse on paper, especially along the interior. Now, the Niners weren't terribly lucky along the interior last year. Um, you know, they lost a couple of players to injury. And, you know, e even Demontre Moore, who's a better rival's favorite, you know, he was signed late in the year and then broke his arm. And, and now he's a Seattle Seahawk. So it's not as though the Niners have been terribly lucky, but I still think even the players that were there all year, uh, except for Earl Mitchell in the Super Bowl, were probably all around better than Kinlaw, Hyder, Givens, and Street, if only because they're more unknown quantities at this point. And really, this, this is going to be pinned around what we can expect from someone like Javon Kinlaw, especially given the fact that camp reports about Kinlaw were not effusive. They were very effusive about Brandon Ayuk, not so much about Kinlaw. So, David, is the, is the line worse on paper, and is that going to matter tremendously? Um, so I think it's definitely worse on paper, right? So like the one major change that you make is you're replacing DeForest Buckner, who uh, everybody knows is a known quantity and uh, has been a player that produced at a high level for them for a number of years. And so you just, and, and, and like he was always there too. Like he was always available. He was a reliable player that was on the field all the time, didn't deal with injury or anything like that. So like he was a player that you knew you could rely on week in, week out, and you knew exactly what you were going to get from him. And then you're going to this rookie, right? Who, even though was like, a, you know, a, a interior defensive lineman that we felt was the best available in this draft, um, certainly had a, a nice pedigree as far as um, rushing the passer at the college level and, and did a lot of great things there, which um, tends to translate very well going college to pro. So there were a lot of things to like about that. But even if Kinlaw ends up becoming a good player, there's there's really good reason to expect that he's not going to be DeForest Buckner in year one, right? Like it, it's going to take a little time for him to get there uh, if he does eventually reach that level. And so even though it could be, uh, you know, a good long-term move where you're getting uh, potentially a good player, obviously a, a player the 49ers expect to get a lot of production out of um, over the next several seasons, and you're getting that at a much lower cost than it would have taken to extend DeForest Buckner, um, that can be a very good move in the long term. For 2020's perspective, like you might take a hit there. How much it ultimately matters, I'm not sure, because you do have you know a lot of good players on that defensive line. They're still going to be able to get after the passer. I think they're still probably going to be fine there. Yeah, I think that the to expect that Kinlaw is going to plug in and be and do everything that DeForest Buckner did, I think is is wrong. I don't think that that should be your expectation. I, I do think that when when you take a look back at rookies and their performance along the defensive interior, uh, we did some research about what really is kind of the range of outcomes or what you can expect from these players. We looked at the pass rushing productivity metric from PFF, which basically combines sacks, hits, and hurries. And, and measures them relative to how many times a player rushes the passer. So it's a little bit better than raw sack numbers or raw pressure numbers because it does do it does compare these numbers relative to the number of times they rush the passer. And over the last five years, rookie interior linemen with more than 200 pass snaps don't really break a pass rushing productivity number of five and a half. 
tops in the NFL are between eight and 10. That's usually like Aaron Donald level. That's, that's the going to be top of the marks right there. But when you look at, at, at rookies that are rushing from the interior, you, Armstead and Buckner were really some of the best. Their rookie years, Armstead's overall pass rushing productivity was 8.4. I think that may have put in some of his edge rushes as well. But DeForest Buckner was at 5.5. Chris Jones, who's one of the best interior defenders currently, is at, was at 6.5 as a rookie year. And, and so I think if you're looking at what you expect from Javon Kinlaw, you're expecting maybe like if he can get into that 5 uh, PRP kind of number, that's probably not bad. That's not going to put him near the top of the league for this year. It may not even put him top 10, but it's going to be enough that the Niners can work with that and can still use the other pieces around the defensive line in order to get to the quarterback. Right. I think the the important thing to remember, even if you do end up with that, you know, I, I think, expected drop-off from Buckner to Kinlaw this season, um, they, they were in a situation last year, right, where they just had really a surplus of talent on the defensive line. So they, they are not because they lost to Forrest Buckner suddenly in a bad situation on the defensive line. Like they still have a number of very good players there. And so I think as a unit overall, you know, maybe you're changing up some things. Like I, I know they've kind of, uh, you know, I think shied away from this and, and saying that they're going to keep Armstead more as an, an edge player. But I, I really do feel like Armstead, if they need to, could kick down inside and in pass rushing situations and be able to take some of those snaps that you had from Buckner. Um, you know, obviously they're hoping we're, we're kind of, I think off that train at this point, but hoping for some more from Solomon Thomas and in, in featuring him more as an interior rusher. And then if you have, you know, guys like Bosa and Ford on the edge that are going to be able to provide that um, edge pressure as long as they're both out there. So I, I think you have a number of good players there the depth might not be quite as much, so you do worry a little bit more about injury, but they were never going to be in a position where they could sustain that level of depth, that number of like first round picks and this, the players that they had last season, like that wasn't um, viable long term. So they're still in a very good position, even if it isn't quite as good as it was last year. I think Javon Kinlaw will figure it out and he may even be better later on in the year. But I do think the player that's probably going to need to shoulder a little bit more of the load is going to be someone like D Ford. I think if D Ford comes back, plays more snaps, I think Armstead is a good enough player along the interior to get the to get pressures. And and you've got someone on the interior who can get pressure. And then if you've got Ford and Bosa screaming off the edge, you're still gonna present problems for offenses and offensive lines. And and D Ford, there's a lot there has been a lot made about the games that he missed in the middle of the year. And you look at the sacks for the Niners in weeks one through 12. This is a stat that David Lombardi loves. Uh, his sacks for the 49ers, weeks one through 12, four sacks per game. You look at the Niners sacks weeks 13 through 17, when they averaged just under a sack per game. And then in the playoffs, they averaged a little over four sacks per game. And of course, D Ford was injured in week 10. So he kind of preceded a bit of the, the dip in sack production. Now, the D Ford was one of the two players that our Patreon subscribers selected as someone that needed to have a good season for the 49ers to get back to the Super Bowl. And, and I don't know that they're wrong. I would probably put him in my top two as well, because I think he can take some of the pressure off of some of the interior rushers and still provide a formidable pass rush. He's going to be more of a situational pass rusher. I think Eric Armstead plays defensive end and base. Um, but I don't know that Ford is, I don't know that you should expect Ford to unlock the defensive line quite like those sack numbers indicate, because I think there's some other stuff going around there. Um, I think really it's, it's going to be the pressures that are going to be important. And the more D Ford is able to play and the more offensive lines have to slide over to, to Armstead and Bosa, 
I think that's when you start to see D Ford get put in advantageous situations. That's one of the things that we noticed about him in Kansas City. His his monster year, the year before the Niners traded for him, part of the reason he was so successful is because he was put in advantageous situations by having other really good players on the other side of that defensive line. And that's what the Niners can do for D Ford is have other good players like Armstead or Bosa on the other side of the defensive line and then let Ford cook. And now that he's healthy enough to do it for a full year, I think that can help give that defensive line a little extra juice that may be missing from DeForest Buckner. I I mean, I got to say off the top, like I fucking hate that stat so much. Like that is, there's so much wrong with that. Like it's like you mentioned, he went out in week 10. So you're, you're going with like hugely selective endpoints here to illustrate a point. Like this is uh, very much a case of incorrectly, like manipulating data to, to, have it tell the point that you want to tell, right? Which is, is just kind of bullshit. Like it ignores a game like against the Packers while he was out that they had a hugely productive pass rushing game. Um, yeah. So it's just like, I wouldn't put much stock into that at all. I, I do agree that like your point there, which was the whole thing that, that I think we liked about D Ford and his potential coming in um, when the trade initially happened, which was that having, you know, um, opportunities to rush the passer one-on-one and and really not having uh, a lot of help, I think, dedicated his direction when you have a player like Bose on the opposite side and you have, you know, some of the interior players that they still have, right? Like, I mean, I, again, Armstead being a guy that can go in there, I think Kinlaw, I really don't expect him to be a bad player. Like, even if he's not Buckner, like he's still, I think, going to be a quality pass rusher based on what we saw from him in college. Um, and so they, they have the guys up front there to where he really shouldn't be the guy that if, if you're as an offensive line going to choose to kind of devote extra attention, you're going to slide protection one direction or another. Um, you're going to do any of the things that you have, any of the tools that you have in your arsenal there, you're going to devote those things to other players, namely Nick Bosa. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, he should have some advantageous opportunities. And so it, at that point it becomes, um, can he stay on the field? Can he just be there and be healthy? Um, and I think if, if he's able to do that, he definitely has an opportunity to be a productive player. The other part of the defensive flip though, in becoming such a good part of the, the team and being so great in 2019 was the performance of the secondary. And part of what helped the secondary is an improved defensive line, but the secondary play was overall fairly good. And part of that may have been due to positive game script. The positive game script, meaning that the Niners were playing with a lead a lot of the time. It let the defensive line scream after the quarterback. It gave uh, the the secondary kind of some predictable things to do. Really helped provide the situation, the foundation for overall positive defensive performance. And and now you've got Emmanuel Mosley across from Richard Sherman. If you kind of presume Richard Sherman is going to stay roughly the same, and you've got Jaquaski Tart, and you've got Ward who are going to stay roughly the same, then all of a sudden the spotlight comes on Emmanuel Mosley. And Akella Witherspoon was given a couple of chances to win that starting role, couldn't do it. And, and now I think it's, it's the Emmanuel Mosley show. He's not been formally announced as the starter, but you've got to believe he's going to be. I would be shocked if he was not named the starter. Uh, at this point, the, you know, the Athletic reported that uh, Akella Witherspoon was, was, you know, they were fielding calls about trading him. Lynch came out and said, uh, you know, that's not true. Maybe there was a call or there was something in there that he said about a call. And it's like, now we're just splitting hairs. It seemed like someone called and maybe he said no, or the asking price was too much. But overall, I think the performance of Emmanuel Mosley is going to really be a big deal for the 49ers defense. And he was the top vote getter 
in our Patreon poll for players that needed a good 2020 for the 49ers. And I absolutely agree with that. I think if Mosley can come in and have an above average season paired with Sherman, this defense on the, on the coverage end is going to be able to withstand maybe having to cover a bit more in situations where they wouldn't have had to before because of the performance of an off uh, of defensive line that was really, really good. So if the defensive line takes even just a little bit of a step back, which they might, and that's okay. Then now you're shining a bigger light on the secondary and making them cover more, which is going to require Emmanuel Mosley to have a good year. So I, I think there's, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot going on, I think with the back seven, right? So I think, Mosley and what happens with that other cornerback spot opposite of Sherman, like having someone there that can be a quality player, I I definitely think is big, but it wasn't just a case of like that, you know, that, that positions, I I don't think the only position in the spotlight, right? So you, you have to really look at, I think at the jump that this back seven, like the, the coverage unit as a whole made last season, which is wild because like, yes, the pass rush deservedly. So, um, in, in many ways gets a lot of the attention and they did improve. Like when you look at pressure rate, um, they went from basically like a middle of the pack league average type of unit in 2018, um, to one of the the top units in the entire league last season with a pressure rate that was like a right around 40%. Um, the, the coverage and the, the back end though, um, the jump there was absolutely fucking insane. So we, we mentioned the EPA per play jump, right? Going 29th to second at the top of this, um, their, their coverage grade as a whole. So you look at PFF kind of like team coverage grade. They went in 2018 from being the league worst by an absolute mile. It was like 37 point something, right? Team coverage grade, um, to being, um, just a shade below the Patriots in terms of best coverage unit in the league last season. So it was like a 37 grade to a 92 grade in one year, um, which is just like a a massive, massive improvement. And I think that came because of a lot of things, right? It wasn't only that they got a little bit better play from somebody like Emmanuel Mosley at that other cornerback spot. It was getting career years out of players like Jimmy Ward, right? Having uh, a linebacking core that tended to, I think, really like overproduce from, I think, what expectations were going into the season. So I, I think it was a case of like the entire unit suddenly was much better than they were a season ago, right? Because they didn't make a lot of changes there, right? It was it was a lot of the same guys and just suddenly they were good again. And so I think the the question for me really comes down to not only are we going to get good play from that other cornerback spot, but are we going to get the same level of play from all these other guys, right? Are we going to get another um, career year type play from Richard Sherman on the other side? Like, is Jimmy Ward going to stay healthy and be able to play at the same level that he did? Are we going to get a full season out of Jaquaski Tartan? Is he going to play well? Like, there are so many questions at basically every spot where it's just like, what is the real version of this player, right? Are we going to get the career year that they had last season, or is that going to come back down to earth somewhere? Because that, I think, yeah, is is the big um, thing. Because if suddenly that coverage unit kind of goes back even to middle of the pack, I think the defense as a whole is going to take a significant step down. Yeah, and, and I don't think overall that they will. I think that Sher- like Sherman's probably the most known quantity at this point. Sherman's return to prominence is, in my mind, less of an aberration than some of the others. Uh, I think that the, the, the... And similarly with Jimmy Ward, I think he's a talented player, and he's someone who was finally... His issue was always health, uh, and Tart's been kind of like consistently above average, right? So for me, it, it, the, the wide range of outcomes isn't super big. I do think that they were aided by the performance of the defensive line, 
And if that defensive line comes back down a little bit to earth, then they're going to have to cover more often. They're going to be exposed in more situations and maybe they're going to get picked apart a little bit more than they would have typically. Um, and, and I think if, if the overall picture of the defense is one where maybe the, the trend is, or, or the prediction is that they're going to take a little bit of a step back. Now, all of a sudden you think about the offense and the offense is going to have to put a bit more on their shoulders in order to overcome some of what the defense was able to prevent from happening last year. I was going to go into the mid roll right now, but unless you have something to say. No, no, yeah, I think that's fine. But before we get to the offense, let's get to a quick note from our sponsors. DoorDash, you've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery on DoorDash. Did you know that Luby's is closing, David, in Austin? They're liquidating. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I know. I mean, never where, been, but like obviously know that it's like a big where deal. Where else are you going to go get cafeteria food with the average population being above 70 years old all in one place? Other than maybe Sizzler. You know, when you put it that way, not terribly appealing. <laughs> Oh, Sizzler. Good Lord. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving, even if it's Sizzler or Luby's, right to your door, uh, at least for the next couple of weeks. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of it don't laugh. You can't laugh every time I say the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, many of your local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app and select your favorite local spot and your food is on, is on its way. And can't say enough about delivery in these times. Look, if you want football to happen, if you want people to not get sick, wear masks, deliver food. That's all I'm saying. Don't, don't, don't go out. Don't go out into indoor areas. Not a good thing. Don't give Fred Warner, don't give Fred Warner COVID. That's not what we want. Don't do that. Get food delivered. Use DoorDash right now. Our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And Sunday Ticket. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back to the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, David, let's get to the offense. The 2019 offense, pretty damn good. Top five offense overall, seventh in EPA per play. EPA, expected points added. It is basically a measure of how effective a play is, in this case, using points as the lens. The 49ers were incredibly efficient in the passing game, fifth in EPA per play on pass plays, tied for first in positive EPA percentage on pass plays, which is just basically an efficiency measure tied with the Saints, and everyone knows that San Francisco was Yak City because Yak fueled the success in the passing game, while the Niners had the lowest average depth of target of any team in the league, 6.8 yards. 
Not a lot. They led the league in yards after catch per reception at 6.7. David, quick math. How many yards total is that? That's ideal. That's uh, 13 and a half. Yeah, that is 13 and a half yards. Uh, more than four and a half yards running so backs. Those aren't your things that out. you should add. Don't take anything <laughs> into that number. <laughs> yeah, you just keep throwing the ball and you're never going to get less than 13 yards. Uh, but the that basically, you, you get a picture of the Niners offense at that point, though. It is throw, catch, and run. When you've got players like Debo Samuel uh, and George Kittle, that made uh, that made for a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, so I mean, I think that that is really what has been the calling card for this 49ers offense and in the passing game specifically, right? So we spent a significant period of time during scheme month talking about uh, the passing game and Kyle Shanahan's concept specifically in different ways that he liked to attack the defense. And a lot of it comes down to um, being able to scheme players open in the middle of the field and in kind of the short and intermediate areas, right? Like that is where they really make their money. And so even though they don't throw the ball downfield all that much, again, that lowest lowest average depth target uh, only Breeze and the Saints like through a higher percentage of their throws where they were targeting a receiver short of the sticks, short of the line to gain. Um, so they they don't really look to push the ball downfield. They really stay in that short and intermediate area and rely on their um, supporting cast, right, on their receivers and their tight ends and their backs to be able to create those opportunities after the catch. Um, and that's been very successful that for them, right? They have Kyle Shanahan, who's better than anyone in the NFL at, at being able to scheme players open. And then they have basically built their entire offense and the players that they've acquired have been players that excel at creating that yardage after the catch. And so it's been a formula that's worked very, very well for them. But I think if you're talking about, okay, what does this team need to do to get back to the Super Bowl? And, and I think even if the defense, like we mentioned, stays very good, I think there's a very realistic chance that they're going to take a little bit of a step back, right? And that might still be a top 10 defense. But as you mentioned, the difference between two and nine is still a pretty significant difference. And so in order to get to the same level, they're going to need to offset that um, offensively, right? They're going to need to be a little bit better offensively. And I think where you look to see that improvement has to be at the quarterback position. Let's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo for a second, because if the Niners are going to get back, you look at what those teams have in common. And and it really starts with a good quarterback. Not every great quarterback goes to multiple Super Bowls, but teams that go to multiple Super Bowls generally, ha- generally have really good quarterback play. And if the Niners are going to you know, have a little bit of a defensive regression, that last year they were just 19th in pass attempts. That's not a lot of pass attempts. They didn't have to do a lot through the passing game. They didn't even have to pass the ball more than like, what, six times in a playoff game? because of game script and because of their run game. But I don't know that they'll be able to do that as much this year. And that means you're going to have more pass attempts, more opportunities for Jimmy Garoppolo to succeed or uh, to not. And so the question I think becomes where can Garoppolo improve? Uh, Because I think overall he had a pretty good year last year. I I wouldn't say that he was in, you know, the elite stratosphere with the Russell Wilsons and, and those elite quarterbacks. I think in the Mike Sando quarterback annual he was in tier three which was you know basically a quarterback that could have a top 10 year if he had the right the right pieces around him and the right supporting cast and I think right now that's probably a good uh, summation of where Jimmy Garoppolo is if you put the right things around him he can be very very good 
that doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. It just means that he's not necessarily going to be the person that pulls the team forward. I think he can get there. And if he's going to get there, what can he do to start to be that guy? To me, it it really all starts with his accuracy, which is, uh, I feel like going to be a little bit surprising because this is, is, I think, rightfully commonly mentioned as one of the big strengths of his game, right? This is something that uh, we went to a lot when talking about what he did during that initial five-game stretch after he was traded, um, and I think even really into the early parts of 2018 there in those first couple games before he got hurt, accuracy was really the main thing um, that I feel like he really truly excelled at at a high level. But that wasn't really there in it, last season in the same way, and it, was, it wasn't there on the throws that I think matter most in the 49ers offense. So again, we talked about the short and intermediate throws. When you look at that stretch, um, it, it, the, the final five games of 2017, the first three games of 2018, when he was targeting a receiver beyond the line of scrimmage, but less than 20 yards downfield. So again, short and intermediate area. He was accurate on 64.9% of his throws. So that's using actual ball location data that we chart at PFF. 60, basically 65% of his passes were accurate on those type of throws. That was fifth during that span. Last season, it fell by 10 percentage points, all the way down to 54.9, which had him at 26th. So again, those are the throws most common in this offense. And um, the throws that I think are most important for them to be able to succeed, because if you're going to scheme guys open, right, you're going to put these guys um, on the field that you expect to be able to get big yak once they do have the ball in their hands. Having an accurate throw really makes a significant difference, because when you look at the difference in what they got in yak per reception last season on throws where he was accurate versus throws that that were catchable but not accurate, right? So it may have been, if you think of like a receiver running a crossing route over the middle of the field, a throw, it's the difference between a throw that hits him right in stride and in kind of on his chest or right in front of him and the throw that's behind him that forces him to slow down and stop. That difference was basically worth a yard and a half of yak per reception last season. So when they, when it was an accurate throw, they averaged five and a half yards per reception after the catch. When it was an catchable inaccurate, it was 4.1. So a yard and a half every time that a receiver makes a catch based on where Jimmy puts the ball. And and again, over hundreds of pass attempts, that's something that I think really adds up and something that I want to see him get back to that pre-2019 level at. And really, I think this this is the difference between a good quarterback and an incredible quarterback. Because if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's adjusted completion rate, I think overall it was still top 10 in the league last year. And I think, David, you mentioned that the passes were still catchable, which is why the the offense was overall still very successful. It's not that he's like sailing balls and throwing them completely off target. It's that just a little bit better play makes the offense a little bit better. It's an extra yard or two yards. And when you're talking about maybe a third down and seven, that's the difference between punting on fourth and two and getting a first down. And, and so that, that is, I think, the difference that is going to hopefully propel the offense if Jimmy Garoppolo can improve that. I think for me, it's his ball security and his performance under pressure. If you look at what Jimmy Garoppolo did under pressure, his turnover-worthy play percentage was 7.5%. The average NFL turnover-worthy play percentage is 5.5%. It's basically when they're under pressure on 7.5% of plays, Jimmy Garoppolo did something that was worthy of a turnover. On average, the NFL is at 5.5%. That 7.5 turnover-worthy play percentage 
is on par with turnover machine Josh Allen. Like the dude that tried to lateral a football in a playoff game while he was running. Like this, this is this is the level that you're at. And we've seen this, right? We've seen the linebacker blindness. We've seen the dropped interception in the playoff game against Minnesota. We've seen not being a, just making like a what the hell kind of a throw. And we've talked about it all throughout last season. I think if he can turn that around and not make as many turnover worthy plays, now all of a sudden you are getting a bit more yards out of the offense. You're maximizing what you can get out of the structure of the play, but then you're also not turning the ball over and putting the ball in a very, very rough spot. I think if you reduce one or two turnover worthy plays in the first game against Seattle, the Niners win that game. And, and you know, it, it's that kind of stuff I think that's going to be the on the margins because I think this team is so good at this point that you're not talking about making those big obvious leaps from five, six, seven wins to, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins. Now it's like, how do you take a 10 win team and make them a 13 win team? And that's really going to be on the margins. And I think an underrated part of that ball security um, point there is, is the fumbles. Uh, I want to say there were like five fumbles last year that um, were, so when we, we grade fumbles for quarterbacks at PFF, um, we definitely take into account the situation, right? So if a guy is like mid throwing motion and he gets strip sacked from his blind side, there's really not a whole lot he can do about it at that point, right? Like there's, there's no reason to expect him to have ball security when he's mid throwing motion. So when you look at situations though, where a quarterback's in the pocket, he's not in the middle of the throw. It's a situation where you expect him to be able to hold on to that football. Like he had five pretty bad fumbles, which I think is something that goes unmentioned uh, a lot of times for quarterbacks, right? That is a big part of their game, right? So that it, it should be really mentioned right there along with interceptions and, and poor throws in that regard. Um, because those are still turnovers for your offense, right? That I think are avoidable and something that the quarterback should be responsible for. And so you, you look at, I think those situations, um, as well. And then I think, yeah, the really boneheaded stuff to me is the stuff that sticks out among the turnover worthy plays in addition to that. Right. So it wasn't that he, he was just like, you know, occasionally he would sail a throw and that would go to a safety's hands for an interception, right? A lot of his, poor throws and his turnover worthy plays last year were like really, really bad misreads. Like he, he would either be good, right? So I think Jimmy's game generally is making the good positive throws. He doesn't, he doesn't make the great like high end throws downfield on some of the 20 plus stuff, but he's typically very consistent making at least catchable throws in that short and intermediate area, which is going to be something that in our system gets a lot of just positive, small, positive grades, right? So that's kind of where he lives doesn't have a lot of small negative throws with it that are due to inaccuracy. But last year, for some reason, just had a bunch of these plays that were just really egregious, where it was just like a really bad misread or just something on the play that was just like completely inexplainable. Where you're like, what are you doing here? Like, what what is going on? So I think those type of like really boneheaded plays, the fumbles in the pocket, those are things that I feel like he can actually improve, right? Another year in the system, just another year is, you know, this is really going to be his second full season as a starter. Like hopefully those are, there's some areas that he can clean up and limit some of those turnovers. Now the Niners do have a good supporting cast around Jimmy Garoppolo. And while there may be some caveats to some of these players, I am incredibly excited about his stable of pass catchers because I think it starts with Brandon Ayuk. And, and I've got a question for you, David. Do you think Brandon Ayuk gets more than Debo's 800 or so yards in Debo's rookie year. So Brandon Ayuk, more or less than 800 yards his rookie year. I mean, assuming health, obviously, I'm I'm going to say more. 
I think he's wow. really in position to uh, take a large share of the targets in, in this offense. And I, I feel like he can be really good. Yeah, I do too. I think he's going to be the the that quote-unquote number one receiver that Niner fans seem to always clamor for. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to approach the that number just because of how many mouths there are to feed, but I do think that he is going to... I mean, I think Emmanuel Sanders had, what, like 700 yards last year and he didn't have a full season with the Niners. Um, if you were to take his numbers out for the full year, I think that's where you're going to be, you know, roughly with Brandon Ayuk. And I mean, the, the camp reports on him are everything that we saw in our scouting reports. I mean, the explosion, the just the knowledge of the playbook is something you can't, you know, you can't really predict, but it's good that he's got it. There's there's Jarek McKinnon, who's going to be, I think, a movable piece when when you're talking about what a running back can really do in the passing game. Jarek McKinnon's going to add a, a really solid piece for Jimmy Garoppolo, but then you've got Jordan Reed. And again, this is another one of those if healthies, right? But if healthy, he is going to add, I, I think, a really dynamic element to this 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 team. And, and now you've got, you know, another player that can really attack the seams or the middle of the field that the Niners can't really focus all their effort on George Kittle. Now it's like you signed Jamal Adams to go after George Kittle. Well, guess what? Now we got Jordan Reed. Uh, and, and and so I think now you begin to start you start attacking the middle of the field with so many players, just waves and waves of players that are going to attack the areas that Jimmy Garoppolo can attack so well and that are so just going to eat up space in this offense. And, and I do think that while it didn't, it, these additions aren't as high profile, um, especially because Emmanuel Sanders left and Jared McKinnon's been injured and Jordan Reed's got concussions, but I do think there's a ton of potential here. Yeah, I think health is going to be a huge part of this, right? So I, I don't know that there's necessarily like a ton of depth. I mean, we talked about receiver a lot in, in terms of it being just essentially a position full of young, unproven players, right? I think Debo's the only one with health, like, and, and even he only has one season, right? Like, you can't be overly confident that Debo is even going to be a great player at this point because we've only seen it for one year. I mean, we we obviously feel pretty good that he will be, but it's worth mentioning that like really no one in that receiving group has a long track record of production. So I think having your top guys that you expect, you know, to be those big producers, guys like Ayuk, guys like Debo, um, those guys staying healthy is going to be really important to, I think, set Jimmy up for success, right? Because in keeping that, that kind of system around him and giving the pass catchers that he has available, making sure that they are guys that are going to make the most of those opportunities when they get those open receptions, you know, in the short and intermediate area can turn those into explosive plays for your offense is going to be huge. So yeah, I think assuming health from kind of the top line guys, it has a, a chance to be very, very exciting. Um, I think we have to hope we've already had kind of a scare going into the season with some of those receivers. Like, I really hope that that's not a unit that kind of falls apart and gets very thin over the course of the year. Enter Kevin White. It's the Kevin White Redemption Tour. <laughs> this is what 2020 is going to be all about. We haven't even talked about Trent Taylor. We we have yeah. to dust off our hard hats. Yeah. You know, pull the hard hat out of the lunch pail, and then you know <laughs> this is this is going to be the the year that he's going to. Because I mean, I think that's another player that fits what Jimmy Garoppolo wants to do. I mean, during the uh, the hype episode, we talked about what his connection with Jimmy Garoppolo was like when when they had a you know a brief dalliance in 2017 and 2018. So I do think that overall, Garoppolo has weapons. Garoppolo has weapons, and I do think that his offensive line is actually a little better this year than it was last year because I do think that while I love Joe Staley and Joe Staley was a great tackle, Trent Williams is a better tackle. And, and I do think that 
Mike Person didn't, you know, he was a serviceable guard, but I don't know that it's going to be terribly difficult for Brunskill to be a better guard than Mike Person. And, and really at this point, I think Ben Garland and Weston Richburg are, are almost a push in terms of center quality. It's just going to be whether or not Ben Garland can come back and come back healthy week one. Uh, if not, you're looking at, you know, Brunskill moving in and, and there's, you know, a cascade of, of kind of effects and Tom Compton plays right guard. I think injuries, again, we haven't talked a lot about injuries or health in this case because that's always something that the teams are going to ha- have to overcome to a certain degree. And, and, you know, whether it be COVID or actual injuries, the, even the Niners last year weren't terribly lucky when it came to injuries. It's just that their quarterback didn't go down. And so I do think that they have the type of roster that has the depth to kind of overcome some of these things. And that's always something a team is going to have to deal with. Um, so we've kind of shelved that kind of thing. But but I think that all that all notwithstanding, I think this offensive line may be better. And if this offensive line is better and you've got, you know, a, a more a, a pass catching stable with a bit more potential and the running game returns, then, you know, you really do have a place where a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo can shine if he is going to continue to progress in his career. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's you kind of outlined really. I think the best case scenario for this team, right? So I, I think it is um, if they can keep some of the key players healthy, which again is always going to be a question mark going into to any team season. But um, uh, assuming that for a moment, they really do have a stable of pass catchers around him. Uh, like you mentioned, I think it it at worst their offensive line is as good as last season, right? I think that's uh, I, I wouldn't go any more than that. I certainly wouldn't say that they're worse. And so I think that, yeah, everything right now entering the, the season week one seems to be a situation that is going to set him up for success because you have the best play caller and an offensive coach probably in, in football. Um, you have, again, a, a stable of pass catchers that is built to really take advantage of that system. And so it's just a matter of Garoppolo, I think, hopefully settling in. Um, becoming a little bit more consistent in his second full season in this offense. And and that's putting things together. And that's how you end up with another top five offense that can potentially make up for a little bit of slack from the defense, right. And still end up being a super bowl contender. Um, I think on the other side, just to outline, you know, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I don't, I, I know that neither of us really want to spend a lot of time thinking about the, the worst case scenario for this team, but I think it is reasonable to expect that like, or to, to at least talk about like the defense could make, a, I think a more significant fall. Like when you, anytime you're talking about a team that goes basically worst to first, um, a lot of times those teams see a pretty significant dip in the following season. So seeing them come back to somewhere middle of the pack, um, wouldn't be, I, I think totally unreasonable going into this year. Um, and then I think offensively, you are, are looking at maybe a cast of receivers that's unproven and, and we don't get the players that we expect, right? Ayuk's a little bit of a disappointment. Debo takes a step back in year two. You don't get anything really out of the receivers. It becomes the George Kittle show, and there's not a whole lot around him um, that, that can really help provide some support there. And that because you have an out offense now that isn't in those advantageous situations because of game script, they're forced to throw more and that doesn't go poorly, right? So I think that's the worst case scenario and how you're looking at a team that ends up being a fringe playoff contender or maybe missing out, right? So where they land in between there, of, of course, is the big question. But what does your gut tell you about where they land? Because I think the the win total from betonline.ag is 10 and a half wins. So, and it's obviously set there because it's a really good win total. 
because I, I would have said somewhere between. Like, I think if if all the the bad things that you say happen, I, I still think this is a playoff team when things don't go their way. I mean, last year they had Justin School playing tackle for a non insignificant part of the season, uh, and they were able <laughs> and they were still able to overcome that. Um, you know, so I do think this is a team that is outside of a catastrophic injury, like we saw it in, in 2018, able to overcome some of that adver- adversity. So I, I do think that this team, even if some of those things go not their way, is still going to push for the playoffs. I, I think that really like nine, 10 wins is going to be if things go bad. And the more things start to go well, you start getting into the 11, 12, 13 win teams. And I do think this team could conceivably be a better team than last year, have a better offense, even if their defense is worse, overall still better, and not have as many wins, not end up, you know, as one of the, as the top seed, end up as the second seed and, or the third seed and have a tougher kind of road in, in the playoffs and, and still make it tougher to get back to the Super Bowl. So I think that their, their range of outcomes for me is really somewhere near like, 10 wins to, you know, as much as 14 wins if Jimmy Garoppolo really does on cork. But I think they're probably going to land somewhere around that like 11 win area. I mean, of course, the line is is great, right? Because, yeah, I think I would say like 10 or 11 wins feels about right for this team. Like, I, I think, yeah, it's it's very likely that they don't get 13 wins again, right? That's always the case for a team that wins you know, 12, 13, 14 games in a season, like they very rarely, even if they're still very good the next season, for a variety of reasons, they don't get back to that same win total, right? But I I think double-digit wins is kind of where I would land on them. I feel like I'm probably a little bit, I'm a little bit more scared of the defensive regression than I think you are, it sounds like. Um, I really have some worry about what they're going to be like from a coverage standpoint. Um, uh, just across the board, as we kind of talked about there, like they got a lot of career seasons, even when you go down to the pass rush too, right? It was guys like Eric Armstead, career season, Jimmy Ward, career season, Richard Sherman coming back from injury. Um, basically like, I mean, I won't say career season for him, but it was like approaching his peak right last season. One of his better seasons at an age where you don't expect a player like that to have one of his better seasons. So there was just so many things. It was a situation defensively, that basically everything they needed to go right last season went right. And that's how you end up with that improvement from bottom of the league to number two overall. Um, I don't know how much of that sticks. Like I I do have some concerns defensively. Um, I will never be worried legitimately about an offense run by Kyle Shanahan. Like I just feel like no matter what problems you want to throw out offensively, I just kind of feel like the answer ends up being, Eh, Shanahan will figure it out, right? They'll be fine offensively. Um, And so to me, it it comes down to really how far does that defense fall? And if they become, um, you know, if that coverage unit falls apart a little bit and becomes more of a a middle of the pack, even below average unit, uh, I I think that could be bad news because I don't think that, um, you know, the the schedule, like I I don't think they're going to be in situations that align from a game script standpoint with what, they really want to do right if if uh if things if they're put in some worse situations i don't know that it will go terribly well so that that concerns me yeah and for me i think the the very reason that you're not worried about the shanahan offense is why i don't even though i expect defensive regression i think that the offense can make up that ground i think jimmy garoppolo throws for over four thousand yards i think he ends up being you know kind of like oh yeah oh he's gonna put some of those 
people that are like, oh, is Jimmy Garoppolo good? Kind of settle some of that stuff and say, yes, like I am a legitimately good quarterback. And I think that's going to happen in the 2020 tour. I don't know if they're going to make it to the Super Bowl because so many things have to go right for you to go to the Super Bowl that are just, you know, like a little bit of luck, a little bit of chance. I mean, if, if Fred Warner gets called for pass interference at the end of that Seattle game, if Seattle scores, you know, and they win the division, I, I don't know necessarily that the Niners path is as easy to the Super Bowl. They may still make it. They may not. Who knows? But that's the kind of stuff that like it really is how it bounces your way to end up making it to the Super Bowl. And so I, I don't know that they'll make it to the Super Bowl, but I still think they will be one of the two or three best teams in the NFC, irrespective of their win total. And I think it will be because Jimmy Garoppolo continues to develop a little bit. I, I don't know that he's a finished product. And and even great quarterbacks, when you look back, and even Tom Brady, who won his first Super Bowl, he wasn't the Tom Brady of you know the middle of Tom Brady's career. He still got better, and he still did different things and won in different ways. I think that's going to be the real question for Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he, if he can continue to get better and do things different with his game, or is he kind of set right now? Because if he's set right now, and this is the peak Jimmy that we've seen, then I think things change a little bit. Then then it becomes a bit more difficult to kind of build things around him. But if he can continue to grow year over year in this offense and with this coaching team, I think then you get into a Saints scenario where you can do a lot of things other places and your defense can dip and kind of get good and not get good. And you're still going to have a team that's always contending for a Super Bowl and you know losing in weird places just because your quarterback is developed within the system. It's so important, like that distinction between just uh, simply a good quarterback and like a great or elite quarterback, right? It, it is that difference where you can like defense almost if you have a great quarterback, um, defense almost like becomes irrelevant. Like, like I, I mean, not you can't be completely terrible there, right? But like it really does like set your floor at a, a plus 500 record, right? Like and, it allows you to come back from 10 point deficits in every single playoff game in the playoffs and still win like Patrick Mahomes did last year. Right. Like you can just in, in defense, I think a lot in general, like so much of it comes down to like these kind of luck and chance things. And it, there's so much variance season to season, which again is like part of the reason I'm concerned here, but I think Garoppolo, uh, right. It, it is like, I think quarterback is a position where you can continue to see development, um, as a player gets a little bit older in their career, right? Like they can continue to get better there. Um, I don't know that it always happens. Like at some point for most players, I think like he's going to be 29 this year. Like he's not some young, like just fresh drafted. Like I know we talk about second full season as a starter under Kyle Shanahan or just in general. Um, but like, at some point, I think you do for most players just kind of you are what you are, right? And, and um and, and so this season, yeah, I do think is kind of like almost a tiebreaker season for him. Whereas, you know, when that first stretch when he first came over was so excited about him and his potential and, and him potentially becoming one of those top end guys where it doesn't really matter what's going on around you because we've got Jimmy, we're gonna we know that we're gonna be good to okay, like is he a guy that is just basically maybe a little bit better version of Jared Goff, right? Where he is dependent on like, yes, he can make some great plays. Like he can do some great things, but ultimately it's going to be very reliant on the things around him and his supporting cast and scheme and all of that. Um, that distinction is going to be, I think very big. And, and hopefully we can kind of figure that out a little bit with Garoppolo this year. There's also week one, which we're not going to talk about too much right now. 
I think <laughs> at this point, this is this is what we'll roll into week one. We'll, we're going to be back next week breaking down what happens in week one as we normally do. But this about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Thanks to everyone who participated in the poll talking about the players that need to have good seasons. D Ford, Emmanuel Mosley, can't disagree. Love our listeners. Very, very smart. You guys are indeed Better Rivals. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It'll be at PFF underscore David. Football's back, David. I've got my George Kittle onesie ready for my daughter. You better have your about to throw up ready for your uh, for your daughter. <laughs> on it. On it. We're going to be about to throw up. I'm not going to be about to throw up. She's about to throw up literally at any point. Like any moment could be about to throw up moment for her. Yeah, so. Tummy time, right. guaranteed throw up. Absolutely. The moment <laughs> you flip that baby. more like throw up time. Yep, it's what I'm saying. But thanks again for tuning in. As always, go Niners. The wait is over. Football's finally back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online your sportsbook experts.